Please turn with me to Haggai chapter 2. It's toward the end of the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. Haggai chapter 2, we continue our study in this book together this morning. Have you ever set out to accomplish something? Maybe it was a, a ministry opportunity or some project. You set out to accomplish something and you find yourself disappointed and discouraged along the way. Uh, maybe you set out to have a certain kind of marriage or family uh, or to grow in a certain area of your life only to find yourself discouraged. Or have you ever found yourself uh, discouraged, disappointed by the weaknesses and shortcomings of the church, of what the people of God are building together? Our sermon today is a word for disappointed workers. We saw last week in chapter 1 that after an extended season of neglecting the house of the Lord, the people were stirred to rebuild the temple. After a month of rebuilding, what we find is that the people were greatly discouraged. And so here in chapter 2, God is calling his people to rise above our despondency, to not let the disappointments we experience be a hindrance to full involvement in the work that he has called us to. If this passage has the effect in our lives that God intends, if, if my prayers for this sermon are answered, it will have the effect of ministering to our disappointments, of filling us with hope, and energizing us for the work that God has called us to in the church. So Haggai chapter 2, we will look at the first nine verses. This is God's holy and authoritative word. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater 
than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. May God bless the preaching of his word. Trust the process, that's a phrase we know. Trust the process is the slogan coined during a number of rough years for the Philadelphia 76ers. A slogan to communicate a long-term rebuilding plan. Trust the process means things may look bad now, but there is a plan to make it better. And it was the former 76ers general manager, Sam Hinkie, who had a plan for making the team better, but it would mean several years of a terrible record of losing the overwhelming majority of their games. Some fans hung in there uh, during that time. I saw one picture of a fan holding a sign, now we're stinky, but I trust Hinkie. Um, other Philly fans, as you can imagine, uh, did not like the process and found it to be unbearably depressing. They remembered when we won the championship in 83, when we got to the finals in 2001, the good old days when games were not depressing. And of course, now we are at the place where games are no longer depressing but exhilarating. But how easily we grow discouraged and this happens not only with sports teams but with the condition of God's people in the church it was in Haggai's day that the people were a month into their work of rebuilding the temple when they realized how lame the whole thing is numerically they were very small and pathetic they were a remnant of what they formerly were there was rubble all around them and they looked back on days of former glory. And so in the second chapter of this book, the prophet stood and addressed the people of God. This was at a great festival. The date in verse 1 is October 17th, 520 BC. This was the next to last day of one of the great feasts of the people of God. The Feast of Tabernacles. Which was... That occasion, that annual festival that served as a reminder of the people being brought out of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness. And so during this festival they would go and dwell in tents and remember the faithfulness and the mercy of God. And during that time they would also no doubt think back on the dedication of the original temple that took place at that same feast many years earlier that's first kings 8 we also heard read earlier at the start of the service second chronicles verses 6 and 7 so they were during this feast thinking back on their past remembering how god had rescued them remembering the great and glorious deeds of the lord his presence with his people and it was as they looked back on those days that it made the present seem all the more depressing and boring. You can read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah to get a sense of the history during this time. It tells this same story. Years earlier, they had laid the foundation of the temple. This is told in Ezra chapter 3. It says that when the, the temple was laid, when they came back uh, from uh, being in exile... 
that many shouted with a great shout, praising and giving thanks to God. But we're told the old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice. Now that was still the situation here in verse 3 where Haggai mentions the glory of the former house. It had been destroyed 66 years prior when some of the older saints who were still present there had been children and teenagers. And Haggai acknowledges the sad reality that what they now see is far inferior to what once was. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So let's look at two points here in the sermon today. Two points, the reality of discouragement and the encouragement God brings. Okay, first, the reality of discouragement. It's Alec Motyer in his commentary who describes the situation in Haggai's day quite perfectly. He says, two persistent roots of despondency were growing vigorously among Haggai's people. The past seemed incomparably better than the present, and the present seemed much less than worthwhile. Work had started on the temple site, and the people were beginning to sense the huge task they had undertaken and how little they might expect to achieve. It was all very depressing. They could not match the greatness of the past nor even achieve much in the present. And we all in our lives, don't we know that same sense of inadequacy, uh, the discouragement in our own lives, that sense of defeat, that sense of despondency. Matyur says, but the Lord knows the needs of his people and through the prophet Haggai tackles the problem of depression and despondency head on. Believers today need the same word of encouragement because of the often shattered state of the church, the seeming fruitlessness of effort, and the slow progress in building the temple of the Holy Spirit in fellowship in the church and in personal life. Friends, I want you to consider, I want you to think about your own life and consider where are you discouraged by the seeming fruitlessness of your effort? Where are you discouraged by delays, by slow progress, by things not being as far along as you hoped and prayed they would be? Where have you lost the initial excitement and vision that you once had? Where have you experienced opposition and criticism that has discouraged you? When you look at the church, what are the, the, the lacks and the failures that you may be disheartened by and discouraged by, disappointed, the whole reality of disappointment in the church? Just to give you a heads up, if I haven't disappointed you yet as a pastor, just give it a bit more time. Um, and the same is true, by the way, for you being a disappointment to others in the church. We know what it's like to look at the church and think, man, why are we not stronger in that area, right? And usually it's an area that we carry a particular burden for and are quite strong in. So I can think, man, why aren't Christians reading more, right? Um, you may look at the church and think, why isn't our community more vibrant? Why isn't our discipleship more intentional? Uh, our, our care for the suffering and grieving more proactive? 
Why isn't our evangelism more faithful? Why isn't our heart for the nations more pronounced? You know, we announce the meeting for global missions and we think it's about time we start talking about the nations. We can look back on days of greater commitment, days of revival, days when the church was on a mission. That's what it was then. And we can even do that as we look back on the history of the church. Then we look at the present and Haggai says, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And if we're honest, there are ways that today is not like the old days. It is easy to look at the church and see lack and failure. Sometimes that's not a critical spirit. Sometimes that's just realism. We know what it's like to not have our expectations met. We, we have at times made our own depressing comparisons. We know the experience of hurt. So the question we're considering today that God would have us think about is how do we respond in those moments? What do we do with this whole problem that plagues us so often throughout our lives, the reality of discouragement, the reality of disappointment. First, I want to say that there are certain ways that we must be careful to not respond. One is denial. Uh, denial of, of present conditions. You know, the pastor gets up and says, guys, isn't everything in the church and in our lives amazing? Isn't everything exciting? You think, well, no, it's not. Everything is not exciting. Haggai doesn't deny the existence of problems or act like everything is amazing. What's that, the song in the Lego movie, Everything is Awesome? You know, I love that song. Um, but most of the time, everything is not awesome. We know the church to be the dearest place on earth, but I sometimes wonder, have we considered frequently enough that it is often the most disappointing place on earth? So many Christians would point to the church as that place where they've known their greatest disappointments, the greatest mistreatment, the greatest struggles that they have experienced. Some things are exciting, yes, but there are also things that are difficult and many things that are quite ordinary when it comes to life in the local church. And so we must guard against denial. Uh, just as Haggai does as he looks at the present situation. Another mistake to avoid is nostalgia. Uh, this, this Feast of Tabernacles served as a time for looking back, but that, that looking back served a purpose. They remembered the great acts of God in the past. And if we are looking back to the past properly in the way that God intends, it should have a certain function in our lives and it should not be to discourage, but it should be to produce gratitude, to produce faith in God, to produce expectation for the present. God's desire is not to take us back to some previous time, but to make us faithful in our own time, to meet with us in the present. We look back in order to ponder anew what the Almighty will do in the present and in the future. And so we guard against a sort of nostalgia that works against that. Another great mistake is that of deconstruction. Deconstruction is the popular trend of dissecting and rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. 
Some people say that the church has failed them, and so they see a need to leave the church in order to find answers. Uh, rejecting what they grew up this. We have sadly seen this among some who have grown up in our own church. Um, it is the broad path that Jesus spoke of. It is the way of the masses. It is a very normal thing that many young people are doing in particular as they go along with the flow of majority culture. In a self-oriented age, disappointment inevitably leads to deconstruction. And some who have deconstructed have left the faith altogether. We don't deny the reality of the discouragements and the disappointments that they have known, but we must reject the embracing of deconstruction as a solution to those disappointments. One last way not to respond is despair. We should not despair when we look at the weaknesses in our lives or in the people of God. What if, think about this, what if the place of disappointment is the place that God meets us most powerfully? Isn't that so much of what we see as the case in Haggai chapter 2? Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about this same thing in his book, Life Together. He says that we often bring our own ideals to the church of what the church should be. And he says that God often delights to shatter those dreams. But he says, there is grace in the disillusionment. Bonhoeffer actually says, the sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to a community, the better. Because he says, that's the moment that we realize that true Christian community is the expression of the patience and forgiveness that are in Christ Jesus. When we learn to love the people who are weak and ordinary, who have failed us, that's the great breakthrough in the Christian life. Now, so how do we address discouragement? Listen to what Matthew says at this point. He says, the Lord's rejoinder to his people's despondency. Those moments you are aware of your own weakness, you are despondent, you are disappointed. The Lord's rejoinder is to turn their minds from what they think to be true of themselves. We cannot match the past. We cannot achieve in the present. Turning from that to what is true about him. You see, they were talking about themselves. They were talking about their own weakness and inadequacy while the Lord comes to declare his power and his sufficiency. So that in moments of weakness, in moments when we would be tempted to despair, we are to turn our eyes from ourselves to the God who has made great promises to his people. To the God who has acted for his people. To the sufficiency of the God who even today speaks overwhelming encouragements to all who are downcast and despondent. What perspective will you take? Oh, it was, um, it was Charles Bridges. He has a wonderful treatment in a book on pastoral ministry on unbelief and the reality of unbelief. He says that unbelief regards the difficulty, faith regards the promise. Unbelief looks to the difficulty 
and fixes its eyes there. Faith functions by lifting our eyes to the God who is with us. And this leads us, and the whole passage moves to and emphasizes the encouragement that God brings. It is only once we identify, once we're honest with the reality of discouragement and weariness that God's people felt in their rebuilding that this passage takes on whole new meaning in our lives. Here is God, the creator of heavens and the earth, the God who is our savior, coming to his people, coming to you with encouragements for the work that he has called you to. That's what this passage is all about. Receive from the Lord today encouragement that gives fresh energy to your labors and your calling in life. You see only rubble in your life. You don't see how you can face the challenge before you. You at times see the church as nothing. What is the way forward? Yet now be strong, says the Lord. Verse 4, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. What is God's encouragement to us as a church family, to covenant fellowship? Yes, you are aware of your weakness. Yes, you are faced with a seemingly impossible task. Yes, you are weary. Jesus is your strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Ephesians 6, 10. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the positive motivation. There is strength in the everlasting God available for you today so that the weak can say, I am strong in the strength that God has given That's the positive motivation. And then there's the negative motivation at the end of verse five, fear not. What we're really getting at here is the attitudes with which we face our work. Whatever the calling is that God has called you to, whatever the work that is before you this day and this week, these are the essential attitudes for our work in this season. Be strong and do not fear. Do not fear, what a timely word, because there is a sense in which the social and political climate of our culture is controlled by fear on both sides, and Christians are to be different. Be strong, do not fear. Jesus is your strength. The next encouragement God gives, he just keeps flooding our souls with the encouragement that we so desperately need. God is with you. At the end of verse four, work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And he says, I am with you, verse five, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. The promise of God, the covenant he has made, the salvation he has worked. For them in that moment at the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a looking back to the great salvation that God had worked in redeeming a people out of bondage in Egypt. That was the glorious saving event that they looked back upon. For us, it is looking back to the cross, that centerpiece of history, the cross on which the Prince of Glory died to secure our salvation. 
we consider that reality and we know that God remains with us today. Verse 5, my spirit. And I can just imagine the people gathered on that day, so discouraged, looking at the reality of what they are doing. And the spirit of God speaking this to their hearts, encouraging them for what lies ahead. Verse 5, my spirit remains in your midst. I am with you, says the Lord. It may not seem like it as you look to your life, but the Lord says, do not say I was active in the past and I am not active today. God is with us. The church today has even more of God's power and presence through the Holy Spirit who has been poured out upon us. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord. God wants you, Christian, to go into this week knowing He is with you. He's with you. And what does that do? It gives strength. And it casts out fear. Jesus is your strength. God is with us. And then God says, the best is yet to come. And verse 6 and following is radically oriented toward the future. You see this language repeated. Whenever you're studying the Bible, you look for this kind of repetition. Verse 6, I am going to. Verse 7, I will, I will. Verse 9, I will. This is the promise of God orienting our attention to the future he has for us. And what the Lord says is that the future will be more glorious than the past. In what ways? Well, God says he's going to shake the nations, verse 7. The the shaking of the nations, here the commentators go a few different directions, uh, probably refers most immediately to God stirring up Darius to help supply materials for rebuilding. But this reality of the shaking of the nations ultimately has fulfillment in Christ. The nations bringing their wealth to bless the temple is a reminder that God has a plan for the nations, even those nations that in that moment were opposing the people of God. One day, people from all nations would come to the temple of God to worship. And this has found fulfillment in the New Testament church And will one day find consummation when Christ returns to be worshipped by all those who have been ransomed by his blood. A people from every tribe and language and people and nation. God says, I will shake the nations. And then the best is yet to come because he will fill his house with glory. Verse 7 and verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than than the former so they look at it the mess of what they were building the glory of what had been under Solomon's temple and God says the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former now what does that mean because Zerubbabel's temple was not greater than Solomon's original temple When God promised a temple of greater glory, he was not speaking of a physical building, but of the glory of Christ and the glory of the church, which is the new temple of God. God has a glorious plan for his church. 
He has a glorious plan for his church. I love what Mark Dever says. I think I've shared this with you before, but he, he says this. Before and after America and any nation, there was and will be the church. The nation is an experiment. The church is a certainty. God has plans and promises for the church and the promise that God would fill his house with glory is the promise that he will build his church. We are now living in the days of greater glory and the future will be more glorious yet. Therefore, we can look at our lives and whatever rubble may surround us and know God will fill his house with glory. Ian Duguid says at this point in his commentary on Haggai 2, he says, God has committed himself to build his church in such a way that even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Therein lies our confidence to tackle the abounding rubble in our local manifestation of the church. The rubble that surrounds us in our lives and in our churches is not the end of the story. Hear that today, the word of the Lord, the rubble in your lives, the rubble and the weaknesses of the people of God in the church emphatically is not the end of the story. God has promised the best is yet to come. And then one more way the best is yet to come, the end of verse 9. God will give peace. The promise of a harmonious society, of peaceful relationships, of inward peace and flourishing in our souls, of peace with the God who cannot tolerate sin. We have peace with God and with each other through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when Christ returns, we will together live in a world of perfect peace. I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts, which means the best is indeed yet to come. And so, friends, receive this as what I have hoped and prayed is a timely word from the Lord. Whatever inadequacies, whatever discouragements we know today, a better future is coming. I don't care if it's the rubble of your marriage, the rubble of your ambitions for Christ, the rubble of your ministry efforts, the rubble of your growth in godliness. These encouragements are given by God to launch us into hope-filled work. The presence and the promises of God are calculated to send us into action, to send us into work. It is in Christ that we can always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, our labors are not in vain. And so Covenant Fellowship, church family, be strong in the Lord. Be devoted to his work. Refuse to give in to fear. Identify fear for what it is and turn from it. Never lose hope. Jesus is your strength. God is with you and the best is yet to come. The band can come forward, come out. 
I want to close with this. I came across an H.B. Charles quote. I was thinking about this whole reality, the Feast of Tabernacles, looking back, looking to the future. And I thought this sentence is just gold. H.B. Charles, phenomenal preacher, says, If your church was not experiencing revival prior to COVID-19, you should not be talking about going back to anything. Go forward. Right? If you weren't experiencing revival prior to COVID-19, don't talk about going back. We are not... We are not going back to anything. We are going forward in the power that God has supplied. This is not a time for going back. This is a time to press on. This is a time to rebuild. And what a timely moment it is. Our world is now so discouraged and it provides such glorious, fresh opportunities for the hope of the gospel. Our world is now isolated and this provides glorious, fresh opportunities for the experience of true community that we have come to know in the church of Christ. Our world is now polarized and this provides glorious, fresh opportunities to display the beauty and the power of unity among the people of God. The world is now aimless and this provides fresh opportunities for us to be devoted to our shared mission and to show the world what it means to live for something greater than ourselves. Church, be strong. Be strong, all you people of Covenant Fellowship Church. Be strong, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen.